It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Twelve to one every weekday during Rugby World Cup 2023. This is the Rugby World Cup Headline Hour on Afternoons with Staffy. Right, the first one, I was going to cut up these, this little audio clip for you, or get Sam to do it for me, um, get the salient points. But the whole discussion was really, really interesting. So there's the facilitator, whose name escapes me, uh, but Rob Carney, former Irish fullback, Matt Williams, former Scotland coach, and Shane Horgan, who I think kicks this off, former Irish wing as well. Previewing uh, All Blacks Island, kick us off, Shane Horgan. Look, it's... it's it's a cigarette paper again between these teams. And it's it's going to be who turns up on the night. Mm. But the challenge New Zealand will pose is, fu- yeah. you know, it's, it's different, but it's great. And I tell you why he said that, because I think, um, you know, his, history does mean something here. Yeah. You know, there, there is an, there, just New Zealand, ex- two things they expect, even what's gone on the last two years. They expect to win quarterfinals of the World Cup yeah. and they expect to beat Ireland. Yeah. Right, that actually that's that's a good starting point for them. As I said, their trajectory in this competition is going up. Their individual skill level is super strong. You can see the fingerprints of Joe Smith on them as well. Okay. So they're they're breaking teams down from first phase because they've analysed them so well. Mm. Um, but um, are Ireland capable of delivering a performance that can beat New Zealand? Absolutely, categorically, yes. Is the answer to that. Mm. Um, they didn't, and Andy Farrell mentioned it, they didn't deliver a perfect performance there or they haven't this World Cup. Um, but if they deliver close to a perfect performance against New Zealand, they can certainly beat them. And, and as Rob has been saying over and over again, Ireland are laser focused on the quarterfinal. That's you know that's their that's the that's their focus point. And is it is it the weight of history that's just swinging you a touch towards the black side? I think so. I think that's what it is. Um, I do think that I think this New Zealand team is is better than we saw mm. um, either against the Springboks um, in, in the warm-up game, and there was a player off for that, um, and France. certainly against France. They made they made some really fundamental mistakes. I hadn't seen a New Zealand team make as many basic mistakes as that maybe ever because we, you know, in our era, New Zealand just didn't make mistakes. Didn't mm. never drop the ball. Sometimes you think, how you know, how have they retained the ball possession for so long without making mistakes? Mm. Um, so I don't. I expect a higher level of performance than that. And uh, you know, if they deliver that, then you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult to right. beat this side. I just and so one counterpoint because if if it wasn't you saying this, then I would have quoted Shane Horgan. To, you, to whoever you uh, were in a parallel universe. So Shane Horgan has said that this Irish team confounds the weight of history and confounds our expectations. So let's not worry about the weight of history. Yeah, and listen, they are, with every passing game in this World Cup, with every performance, they are turning a page on history. And I really hope yeah. and pray that they do. But until they do, they're still shackled with that weight. Okay. Without doubt. And there's another layer to that. Do you think New Zealand want to get square with a green jersey? 
Yeah. Do you think New Zealand aren't humiliated and embarrassed about what Ireland did down in the shaky Isles two years ago? Like mm. the, the New Zealanders really, really want this game. Do you think Joe's not winding them up? That's their icing on their Oh, yeah, 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 100%, 100%. New, New Zealand are licking their lips yeah. to play against. Do you, not th- do you not think Ireland must be inside their heads a little bit? Yeah, they must a, be very a, fearful a little of bit, Ireland. But we, we've had so many conversations about which quarterfinal opposition do we want? Do we want France? Do we want South Africa? Back and forth, back and forth. This has never been a question for New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. We want Ireland in that yeah. quarterfinal. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Of course. 100%. Over Listen, we, Africa are, we are relatively new into the conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. New Zealand never even thought about us. You know, you know, and I know we've done well against South Africa and Australia, but even in World Cup, New Zealand never rated us. First in the world, pff, who are you talking to? Yeah. They've they hit the jackpot by getting us in the quarters. Yeah. yeah. That's how they see in their it. minds. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think I do think the perception is changing, right? Now there's, it's it's definitely that we're perceived in a different way because we have to be mm. over what's gone over the last five years. Bear in mind we never beat them up until that. So they were dead right. Mm. You know, but and you know, we, you know, and Rob was on the team, you know, he broke through and so it, things changed slightly at that point and they've changed more significantly since. But there is no doubt, Rob is 100 percent right. There is no doubt they think. If they, if they could have picked anyone you know, from that group, it would have been Ireland. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I was sort of asking Matt what type of game he expects. I guess a more pointed way of putting it is this is not going to be 13-8 that we saw between Ireland and South Africa. This will have tries. Yeah, it, it will have a lot of tries. And, and, and Shane said earlier on that, you know, talking about the, the South African defence and how it's the hardest one for Ireland to almost play against. New Zealand are pretty soft in their defence. They're not a super aggressive line speed. They'll show you the edges, but they'll hunt you down when you get there. They'll go hard at the breakdown um, in those 5-10 metre edge channels. Ireland will have a lot of ball to attack against them and will put them under a fair bit of pressure. Mm. Um, I do think we'll we'll see some joy uh, attacking against them, but... New Zealand are probably still the most lethal team in the competition, them and France, in terms of turnover ball. So if we kick in any way loosely, if we cough up, cough up any cheap possession, yeah. they will punish you. Stirring stuff, particularly from the two former Irish players, keeping it in check, really, for all of the Irish uh, fans, supporters and players. Really interesting stuff. Uh, next up, we're going to hear from uh, Nico Matawalu first. He's a former flying Fijian himself and Welshman Jamie Roberts on how Fiji can beat England. Mindset for this week, for the quarterfinal, I think they're gonna, they need to bring their A game, like against uh, England on the warm up before the World Cup. They win all the set pieces, they win all the rocks, they will, and then, I was like watching, it's like minus three on the rack. The ball is out. Uh, if they well, do speed, that, speed of, speed board, of ball, yeah, yeah. yeah. If they do that again and no um, accuracy of passes like they do, offload and supporting players <clears> like they do, and they do it against uh, Australia too, if they bring that mindset, mm. uh, I I'm not going to surprise England will fall down on the quarterfinals. Yeah, that's, Fiji beating England now is not a surprise. That's one of the things we've learned from this World Cup, right? They, what is a surprise anymore? Well, again, I, I think Fiji have been a, a yeah, success story of the tournament. Um, 
the quality behind the scrum puts the fear of God into any <laughs> any, <laughs> any side in Sash Rugby. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, how do you prepare? How do you prepare against that in the week? You know, defensively, you're facing Fiji scrums, whether they're in their own half or inside your 22. I mean, the, the, the capability of the strike runners is frightening. Absolutely frightening. And I did, watching England-Samoa, I think they lost the, the physical battle in that game. And, you know, watch out because like Fiji, Fiji will have watched that game, certainly after what happened at Twickenham, but watching that game in the tournament, I think if England don't quite get the physical, physicality right in front up... Fiji, Fiji will think they can get the edge here, I think. England, Fiji live on ECNZ Monday morning. Build up from 3.30, kick off at 4 o'clock and our very own Sammy Hewitt and Steve Devine on the course. Sam, early alarm clock, early alarm clock for you. And of course All Blacks Island is also live with us on Sunday morning with the build up from 7, kick off at 8, Daniel McCarty and the wonderful Corey Jane. Uh, assisting him in that call. Uh, we shall take a break. Still to come, uh, we've got some cool audio with uh, Bernard Jackman and Jamie Roberts, both sharing some stories about Warren Gatland, actually, which I think you'll find very interesting. So much more to come. We'll come back after a break. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. to one every weekday during Rugby World Cup 2023. This is the Rugby World Cup Headline Hour on Afternoons with Staffy. Just we get before we get into the prescribed audio that I promised you, I've just seen on um, Instagram Andrew Mertens at his, at his comical best um, talking about the Irish players and team. It's not going to be great audio quality, but uh, let's see how this sounds. All those Irish players sound like hotels. You go to stay at the Connor. You go and stay at the Connor Murray. You stay at the Sexton. Hey, you're going to go to the the, the Jamison, no, the one in town. I'm going to go to the Jamison in Gibson Park. Is it, is they it, all sound like hotels. The Frank, the when, Irish players. Seamus Burlington coming through. You're going to stay there. There he is, Andrew Mertens. I just find him very, very funny. Right, we're going to kick on. Uh, where were we up to? Uh, Jamie Roberts. He's a former Welsh midfielder, and Bernard Jackman, former Irish hooker. First of all, Bernard Jackman. Uh, on Warren Gatlin's reappointment, coming back to Wales and the impact he's had. I, I, I think Gatlin was the right man. He obviously had that uh, credibility among the squad. Um, they believe in him, but he needed that preseason. He's always been, you, you've been part of it, he's always put so much faith in in fitness and convincing the players that um, they're as fit as anybody. But it probably is very hard to do that during the Six Nations with, yeah. you know, with short preparation time. Obviously, he doesn't have Sean Edwards, but... You know, they seem to defensively be back to nearly that level. Yeah. Um, probably better off without the ball or certainly better off playing that cup-type cup rugby, which is playing the percentages, dominating territory and not being so focused about the possession, but then making good decisions. And just having four or five players who on their day can win a game and, and Davies at scrum half is one of them. Faletau, I think, is a big loss. Mm. I think that's a, a bit of a blow. But I thought Dan Bigger, um, I thought he's carried him you know, uh, to victory. He's nearly like a one-man crusade, and he's mm. so influential around him. And um, no one want no one want to play them in knockout rugby because the, the way they play, um, you have to be very very good to break it down. And as the pressure mounts, as you get closer to finals, having an all singing all dancing game isn't always what you want. You don't want to be level with Wales at sixty minutes, no. do you? No. Like, 
Next up, he told some stories. Uh, there's a whole lot of good stories about Warren Gatlin. Here's one from Bernard Jackman. I have, a, I have another story about Gatlin, actually. Um, when he coached Wasp before he, he went to Wales, um, they had a brilliant uh, Samoan hooker, Trevor Liotta. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was a monster, right? But um, uh, he could he tend to be a bit loose around his diet. So, uh, so Gatlin, <laughs> can we all? <laughs> yeah, he was the only one. Look, I, I was a fat club every summer, so uh, I'm, I'm not throwing, throwing stones here. But um, Gatlin worked out that his ideal fighting weight was 126 kilos. Okay, and he, the Craig White, who, uh, who worked in Ireland, brilliant fitness guy. His job was obviously to get the team fit, but also weigh everybody on, on a Monday, particularly. Trevor. Mm. So, um, don't miss Wayne Day. Don't miss Wayne Day, exactly. Yeah. You, wait, you, wait, you missed it for a reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Trevor, 126 kilos, and uh, Gatlin was supposed to be told if he went up up at all, supposed to be notified. So Gatlin noticed that his performance had started to drop a little bit, and he started to get a bit tighter in his, in his jersey. So um, after about six weeks, anyway, Gatlin reckoned he definitely put on weight. So he said to Craig White, oh, give me the uh, the stats there and, and the sheet for, for Trevor. And basically, six weeks ago, it was 125.8. The next week, it might be 126.1. Pretty much bang on, 126. Like, like so regular, it wasn't funny. Um, so Gatlin was like, Jesus, he said, he looks like he's put on a bit of weight. Bring him down to the local pharmacy and weigh him down there, okay? So they brought him down. And next thing, Craig White came into the office, like white as a ghost, whatever, and he's like, oh. Was that a problem? He said, "Oh, what's going on?" He goes, "He's one three two, right?" Okay, but I thought you said yesterday he was he was one two six. He was. I don't know what's wrong, right? So, so he said, "This is bizarre, or whatever." So, um, they brought him Trevor in, and, and he started to give him a bit of a bollocking, or whatever. And Trevor just put the head down and like very remorseful, didn't really say much. And uh, so Warren said, "Look, go home, get your shit sorted out, whatever." Right? So about ten days later, he said, "He said to Craig, have you been?" talking to Trevor or whatever, right? And, Trevor, and Craig's like, no, I thought you had or whatever. I said, Craig, uh, Trevor just gone home and hadn't come back, right? Uh, so Gatlin thought, oh, he must be pounding the streets, whatever, getting himself down to 126. He doesn't want to come back to these 126. So um, he rang him and said, look, get your ass in here or whatever. So they brought him down to the pharmacy and he was he was 136. He put on another four or whatever. Right? <laughs> so Gatlin goes, no more time off. You're staying in here. But it worked out how he did it. So basically... They went down to, so they used to train in some old school and the, the, there was a little room off the sports hall where the, the Wayne scales was, right? Where they kept the brooms and the committee. So what, it was backwards, whatever. But um, Trevor was so, I don't know if you remember him, but he was about five foot mm. eight mm. tall, five foot eight wide, whatever. Mm. But he was so wide, he could actually stand on the Wayne scales and just use his elbows off the wall to balance himself, or whatever, right? Whereas no one else could. So because he was so wide, Trevor, Craig didn't realise it. So he was able to basically manipulate the scales oh, with his elbows amazing. to get to one, two, six. So then Gatland put Craig White living with him for about six weeks, got him down to one, two, six. And he played, his first match back was against Munster in Lansdowne Road in a, a European Cup semi-final. He was man of the match. He was man of the match, and he, he won that game for Watson. They won the final and won the first European Cup. So yeah, his methods are, he, like he's... But he's funny. He's old school, new school, isn't he? And finally, another story on Warren Gatland. Uh, Jamie Roberts. Got a few. I, um, I I remember training camp in Poland once. There's probably three examples where I can reflect and think, right, Gats wanted to push the button with me uh, to motivate me. One, I was uh, training camp in Sparla, pre-Rubby World Cup 2011. 
went out for fitness first thing in the morning on the tri line ready to go is this the altitude mm, uh, no it's when we had the cryotherapy change. oh yeah, the yeah, altitude yeah. bit was in kind of switzerland yeah, that's right yeah lined up on the on the tri line ready to go um and he comes over he's like well, jeremy you're not training with the lads you're in the pool you've got to swim and do lengths for an hour without touching the touching the floor because you hadn't weighed in in the morning you know you close monitor in the morning i forgot to do that because i was probably quite tired and i just completely forgot before breakfast but it was one of those oh. first first guy to commit the commit the crime of forgetting to weigh in go and pay the penalty so i had to swim for an hour and i'm horrific at swimming <laughs> Like over the water, sea like, lion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, another one, I, you know, myself and Scotty Williams competed for the Welsh jersey for, for quite a few years with Wales. And I'd, I remember being at the Vale, walking down the corridor once, and the only other person coming the other way was Warren Gatland. And, he, and look, he didn't, he didn't, he kind of kept his distance a bit from the players back then. I'm sure he's a bit different now, but he just walked past and go, gee, Scott Williams trained well today. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I went to give an answer. He's already 10 metres away. He's gone. Doesn't want to hear my reply. Um, just mind games then oh yeah and look I, the, the 20, 2010 was probably the most brutal I, um, you know the Lions went well in 2009 and you know kind of got player of the series there started to do a bit more on the press and sponsorship and bits like that around the game as, as players do and uh, team meeting Six Nations I think we were playing England at the weekend and you know sat in a team meeting after lunch ahead of going out for the afternoon session team meeting finishes and he just goes oh before we go um you know jamie when are you going to start concentrating on your rugby and just walked away wow. like in front of all the lads <laughs> really in front of all oh, the lads. Did, you, did that hit a nerve or did you think oh wow I'm, oh, it was brutal it was brutal you can imagine the lads sort of yeah, field yeah. Like, walking yeah. out to train and the boys just absolutely ripping into me but um i think he kind of knew i was the sort of character who'd react to that uh, personality to react to it and uh i'm always savage absolutely savage but it motivated me i mean when you got a coach calling you out you know kind of a bit of a reset button probably doing a bit too much off the field um and not concentrating on it and sometimes it needs a needs the honesty like that from a coach in front of other lads um you know to give you a bit of a rocket so yeah served me well I do like hearing about the aura of some of these people with it. We don't have the relationship like players have with their coaches, and so Gatlin certainly has a lot of sway. Uh, after the news, we'll, we'll hear from Jamie Roberts and Bernard Jackman again on um, Wales, uh, on the All Blacks, and on the development of the Irish game as well. New sport and weather, first of all, though, with Johnny Mack. to one every weekday during Rugby World Cup 2023. This is the Rugby World Cup Headline Hour on Afternoons with Staffy. Rightio. Um, Jamie Roberts, of course, played, I think he played three World Cups for Wales and they got sawn off well not sawn off they they got pretty close to going deep in tournament a number of times remember that match where um, Sam Warburton was sent off for a tip tackle red card uh, very contentious at the time and I'm just trying to remember the name de Klerk was it that he tip tackled interesting story is on their way back from Australia Sam Warburton didn't fly with the team. He flew the next day, and he ended up on the same plane um, as the opposition team. And the whole team all cleared out the seats except for the one next to De Klerk. 
and uh, he had to sit there for 24 hours next to the bloke he got sent off for spear tackling. Good yarn, good yarn. But Jamie Roberts, no one's talking about Wales, so it was put to him. He is Welsh, though. Can Wales win the World Cup and how? I got really excited after they beat Australia. They've been one of the success stories of the tournament, and that's, that's from an objective position. I, I think they've been magnificent. From where Wales have come, um, 12 months ago you know I think the Georgia weekend there's just been some that we lost the Georgia at home uh, in November and obviously there was a lot of change after that um, it was kind of our lowest point for a long time uh, Warren Gatlin comes in and he is he's gone back to basics I think with his team I think when he when he come in you've got a bit of a short turnaround with teams but you, you tell me you've, you've coached the game mm. you, you go after the low-hanging fruit, your S&C, your set-piece, getting kind of the DNA back in the side. And I, I watch Wales now, they've got their DNA back. They've got some wonderful players, but they're playing together and they're playing with a purpose. They're that kind of pressure game, they're up there with any side in the world in the way they pressure sides. Um, you know, their kick-chase game, the, the, the understanding when to kick pass, running damn bigger, they've got a, a serious operator um, who controls risk in the game. Um, and I think they'd be magnificent. I mean, you know, whether we're going to win it, I'm not... Well, because your predictions are so good, but you go as far as saying... They if win. I say Wales aren't going to win it, yeah, they, they might, might win, they it. Probably yeah, win yeah. it. But, uh, yeah. I mean, look, the quarterfinals are a toss of a coin. Also, Jamie Roberts, uh, he was asked about his, the role the All Blacks have played at this Rugby World Cup. We haven't heard that much about them after they lost to France, but... It's so rare for New Zealand to be the hunter rather than the hunters yep. and they become that because of last year um, obviously losing to Argentina losing a test series to Ireland but I thought they'd rebuilt pretty nicely and then that South Africa game and Twickenham and there's all t- kinds of excuses right in on Tuesday etc but and then backing that up with losing the opening game they've just gone about their business they're still a quality side and they're the All Blacks you know what I mean and they have legacy in this competition and I, and I think this week those coaches and uh, will will try and I suppose throw arrows or fire arrows at at Ireland around well they've never done anything in a World Cup whereas we have but I'm still not sure that there's that that, that leadership group that four or five players who are at the top of their game are in this all back side I think they're more vulnerable than ever been um, but it'll take a, a phenomenal performance to, to beat them. How big is Joe Schmidt's influence? Massive. I think he's made him better. And like, so Joe's primary area of responsibility is first phase strike attack, and is that's it? and that's been unbelievable for them. Like the All Blacks used to be a team who hurt you on transition, hurt you on counter attack, and they still can. But it's a real detail. Even against France in the first game, they had three launches that that really hurt France. Um, so they're detail, and obviously he knows the Irish players inside out. Like he is an encyclopedia of knowledge. Even when Leinster were playing Zebra. Um, he would name check 23 players, kicks off this, steps off this, you know, weak in his left hand. Like he is a phenomenal brain on the game. And he's, his area there is, is is to try and hurt Ireland off set piece. Ireland's defences look really good. Um, but for sure, there's a weakness somewhere. And if we get exposed there, you know yourself, it just takes... Like Ireland scoring the first attack against Scotland, that's a massive uh, blow to Scotland. If Ireland were to concede early against New Zealand from a strike play... Then you're chasing the game, and and uh, confidence-wise, you're hurt a little bit. So I think Joe Schmidt is a is a huge player in this game. Yeah, look at that that game, that court final is going to be a game for the ages. <laughs> I, it's going to be one of those games that's remembered. I've no doubt in that. Um, look, at, oh, the All Blacks could have beaten France in that opening match. 
come minute 60, obviously yeah. All Blacks get a yellow card and it kind of goes away from them, but they were good enough to win that match. Springbok should have beaten Ireland. They missed 11 points off the tee. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 this quarterfinal draw could have been very different. We knew they were the big pool games, but the, those sides, Ireland and the All Blacks, are, are setting the standard, I think, certainly when it comes to the attacking game. In, in world rugby they are the way Ireland are that what a machine you saw them against Scotland how yeah. how how organised and we talk about cohesion being the, the buzzword isn't it? it we need to be like them yeah just mm. just it's it's impressive to watch when they're in full flow but if there's any side that are going to going to challenge them defensively it's the ABs and you say their their legacy in this tournament is unparalleled mm. it's 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 up there and that, that's that, that's what should make Ireland maybe a little bit worried because they have been flying under the radar and when the All Blacks are a knockout rugby, I mean, watch out. I do like that the other countries around the world are very wary of the All Blacks. That's good. That is outstanding. Um, yesterday we t- spoke to former Irish hooker Shane Byrne. Great chat yesterday, if you missed it. It's on the podcast channels. Uh, but Bernard Jackman, also a hooker, he was asked by the other guys who aren't from Ireland, why is Ireland so good at developing players? I think we were lucky that when we went professional, we stayed in the four provinces. So if you if you grew up in Galway, you know you're from Connacht. So we probably, Bar Connacht, um, and they probably have 75% of their players are homegrown. So everybody's playing for a jersey or a place that they're from. So that's a big driver. Um, but, and obviously we haven't had any f- real financial crisis either, like, mo- like most of their teams. So the RFU are a strong place financially. So when you go to work on a Monday morning in an Irish province, you put down your bag, all you're thinking about is getting better. You don't have any of the other stress. And also you're not even thinking about moving club usually. You know, other other countries, players have agents ringing them, maybe move club for an extra 10 grand, which well, you understand like is... Wales. Right? Yeah, Wales. which you understand is, is it can be good if you can make more money, but the yeah. Irish players get well paid. There's a tax break to stay in Ireland, so the best players are there and you have the cohesion. Very good coaching, so... Munster have Graham Roundtree, um, you know, Andy Farrell is back, Mike Katz back. They picked up a lot of experience with England, mm-hmm. good and bad, came to Ireland and have, have helped us get better. Joe Schmidt's been there. Lancaster uh, as well. It, Lancaster, exactly. So we, we pay good money for good coaches. Um, and then you have this school system. And, and the, the RFU are doing huge work to try and not be reliant on the school system. But the reality is... Um, those schools are putting a huge amount of money into their rugby development, um, you know, SNC, sports psychology, uh, good coaches, video analysis, etc. At 13, 14, 15, to try and win for the school. But if the if the school if the rugby in the school drops off, the amount of students going there will drop off. The parents want their kids to have that positive rugby experience, and then um, it's a very narrow funnel as well. So only four teams, um, and as I said, it's just built. Now look at we're number one in the world, but you're judged on trophy, so thankfully we have a Six Nations trophy and Grand Slam for this crop. But realistically, the next three weeks or, or maybe next week will decide whether we really can talk about our, our pathways as being the way forward for other other countries. So a massive match, isn't it? Um, Sunday morning, build up here from seven o'clock. Damakati Corey Jane bringing you the call. We shall take a break, and when we come back, we'll go inside the Irish camp, and we will hear from Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton. That's right after the break. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. to one every weekday during Rugby World Cup 2023. This is the Rugby World Cup Headline Hour on Afternoons with Staffy. 
Okay, Irish coach and captain Andy Farrell, Johnny Sexton. They had a press conference overnight. We're going to hear a little bit from them. Johnny Sexton, first of all, how do you overcome the mental hurdle of never making it past a quarterfinal? Well, we, we, we worked on our mental game for the last four years. Um, we've put ourselves in different scenarios um, over the last four years to prepare for this. Um, you know, but each quarterfinal that we haven't got through or we, when we haven't got through our pool, um, you know, it's they've all been different and it's a different group again. So each of those groups lost once. It wasn't the same group losing quarterfinal year after year. Um, so it's, if it was club rugby, it would be, you know, probably a bigger hurdle, but it's a different group. And uh, I don't think we're carrying much baggage. It's a one-off game and we've got to prepare for it now. So you've just heard Johnny Sexton there saying does a lot of work on the mental side of the game. Andy Farrell, um, your players work personally to get mentally fit for the games. Do you do anything as a coach? Uh, constantly. I'm constantly locking myself in the room and uh, giving myself a good, uh, a good uh, dressing down. Uh, we, um, we, we obviously uh, get to the point with Gary about as mentally fit as we possibly can be and being as robust mentally because myself and Gary and the rest of the coaches do everything together so it's a joined up approach of how we go about all this and what's, what's best needed for the team Andy Farrell there back to Johnny Sexton for the final two first one is there pressure at the tail end of your career to finish with that elusive World Cup win like trying to win a World Cup it's something to go and get it's not something that puts pressure on me um, it's something that you dream of, um, probably not as a kid, because when we were kids, we didn't dream of Ireland winning the World Cup, uh, where we, I suppose, we put ourselves in a position now to, to go and do that. Um, but it's something to go and get. It's not something to be pressured about. And I haven't thought about my own career, to be honest. I'll think about it more when I, when I finish. Um, but, you know, it's all geared up towards a massive game on Saturday, a massive challenge for this team, the biggest we faced, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And of course, Johnny Sexton spent quite a bit of time under Joe Schmidt. Uh, he was asked what he's made of Joe Schmidt's influence on the All Black team. You can see evidence of, of Joe's um, coaching through the team. You know, I think they've made big strides over the last 12 months. Um, I know they've been a different forwards coach as well from, from when we were there. So they've made big strides. We, we know that it's uh, a, a very much a different team we're playing against. They've said it themselves, they're a very different team. So. Um, you know, it's a it's a big challenge. But Joe knows us well. Um, we know him well. But you know, I don't. Joe doesn't get to make any tackles or uh, run any lines at the weekend. So we just have to worry about the, the players we're playing against and and not too much about him. But uh, you know, the legacy he left in Irish rugby is is massive. Um, you know, his record here is outstanding. So we'll look forward to having a beer with him after the game. Good stuff, good stuff. That's all the audio we're going to bring you. There's been a lot, but it's I do love listening to them on the other side of the world. So just a reminder, uh, SEN's coverage goes like this. Auckland, Auckland All Blacks against Ireland. Um, 7 o'clock in the morning build-up. Daniel McCarty, Corey Jane. England, Fiji. Monday morning build-up from 3.30. Sammy Hewitt and Steve Devine. Uh, Wales, Argentina, Sunday morning build up 3.30 kickoff for Sam Hewitt, Steve Devine again. It's a couple of uh, two o'clock alarms for you, Sammy. Fun times. And the final one, haven't got it. Haven't got it. I'll get, I'll get back to you. A um, couple of text messages uh, on 8833. That is the Tampa Bear Post text line. 
Why are the odds drastically different with offshore bookies and our TAB? I've backed all Southern Hemisphere teams to win with an offshore company paying $50. The same multi on the TAB is 26 Is it really that big difference? Well, I'm going to take all the Northern Hemisphere teams with the TAB then because, well, no, I think South Africa will win. Um, bookmakers have high prices on one team, low prices on the other team. Another bookmaker will have them round the other way. It's just the nature of the beast. But I can't see that it would be that big a difference. That's a, that's a monster. It's a monster difference. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a free market. Bookies can put out whatever price they want and punters can take whatever price they want or don't want. Um, and text from Jimmy about Peter White from North Harbour. He was the head trainer in the 90s and he was also my junior coach at East Coast Base and Rosmini. He's a good man. Used to bring me into the 1994 Harbour changing rooms after home games to meet all the players and good autographs, etc. I'll never forget Walter Little having his customary full-time dart in his mouth while signing my ball. Walter Little. Oh, tremendous. Tremendous. We shall take our last break before the news and then we'll preview what we've got coming up.